We spoke about that love is love, but it's according to how Jesus defines it and not the way the world does. The reason why we know that God is love or that love is love is because Jesus is love. That's what the Word of God says, that He is love. And so we need to realize that just because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him shall... uh, shall not perish but have eternal life, that doesn't mean that we can sit there and just go on through life not believing in Him. We have to actually do that, that it is a, a, a constant thing, a constant belief. And we talked about the fact of that you believe that that chair is going to hold you. And many of you began to wonder as soon as I said, hey, uh, you know, everyone in here believes that that chair is going to hold them, and they were going, well, I did until you brought that up. But when we believe on Jesus, when we do that, it's a continual belief. It's not something that we, you know, you know, that's okay by a prayer that we did when we were a kid or 30, 40 years ago. It's something that's a continual thing. It's a, it's a daily thing that we need to believe on him. That it's, it's one of those things. But as you're turning there into John chapter 3, I want to ask you this question. How many Gospels are there? This is a trick question, just so you know. How many Gospels are there? There's only one gospel. Do you know that? Leonard Ravenhill put it this way. There's one gospel told by four different men with four different accents. All the gospels say the same thing. But John, the gospel of John, 92% of what is presented in, in John's account is, it, is his original stuff. It doesn't appear in another gospel. But all the gospels are the same, you know. It's all one gospel. It's all one, one account. It's not from four different perspectives. It's the fact that there, are, that there is one gospel straight on through Scripture. But 92% of what John says, most of the time, is never even talked about in the other gospels. But this morning, if you have your Bibles, like I said, John chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 22. Tim, if you could play that, please. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, He that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing, except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, 
and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless your word to our ears and to our hearts, God, that you would, God, that your word would fall upon the fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. From this account, we see that John the Baptist has come back into the picture. He was out of it for just a little bit, but John the Baptist has come back in to the picture. And the thing is, is that what we can see from this account is that John wants nothing else but Jesus to be glorified. He wants nothing else. He wants anything that happens in life. As, they, as these people begin to try and come back and say, well, John, what's going on here? This other guy's coming, and he's taking all your people away. What does John do? He says, let him. Let him. Verse 22 says this. It says, in verse 22, it says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Jesus left the city. He left the city, and he headed into the country. That's exactly what has happened here. He was in the city for, uh, for a period of time. Now he's headed back into the country. And the thing is, is that what he's doing in the country is, is that his disciples are baptizing others by his authority. And this is, it seems to be a big problem for, uh, for what's going to happen uh, here in the, next, uh, in, in the preceding verses. Verses 23 through 26 says this, And John also was baptizing near Anon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And, uh, and they came and were baptized, for John was not ca- uh, yet cast into prison. There, uh, then there arose a question between some of, John's, uh, some, some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was, uh, with, the, uh, that was with you behind the Jordan, to whom you bear witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. What are they trying to do in this thing? John, again, John is referring others to Jesus. That, that, that is his entire thing. If you ever have a person that keeps on talking about themselves in ministry, the ministry is not about Jesus. The ministry is never about me. It's always about him. That's what our focus always needs to be. It's never about the church. It's never about the pastor. It's never about the people at the church. It's all about Jesus. That's what it's supposed to be. And this is what we're going to see from John is that everything about his life is about Jesus. He doesn't care about himself. He doesn't care about the spotlight. He doesn't care about those things. He wants Jesus. In verse 24, it says, For John was not yet cast into prison. So we know that obviously that John is still out there. He's, he's teaching. Leonard Ravenhill said this about, uh, about this fact. The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. This is a totally different gospel than what's being preached. Most of the time, what ends up happening when we go to a church, the church wants the glitz, the glamour, they, they got the lights and everything else, they got all this stuff, the pastor comes out like he's like doing some sort of like Tonight Show or anything else, and, he, and it all wants to be about them. That God, the gospel that they're doing is, is, what can Jesus do for me? That's the gospel to them. The gospel is all about Jesus. What can I do for him? It's not about me. It's all about him. 
And what we see in verses 25 through 26 is that John's disciples, they are wondering about their leader's popularity. That's exactly what's happening. They're wondering, they're saying, remember the one that you baptized? Now he's going around baptizing other people. What do you have to say about that? They're trying to create conflict, or at the very least, jealousy and envy in John. But how does John respond to that question? Verses 27 and 28 says this. John answered and said, A man cannot receive nothing except it be given him from above or from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I, that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Everything that we receive is from the Lord. Do you realize that? Everything about your life, the breath that you're breathing right now, the, the life, the body, the, the clothes, the job, everything that you have is all from him. You say, well, no, I went out and I filled out the job. But you need to realize that the Lord probably hopefully directed you to that job. Most of the time, what people do is they have a job and they don't like it. They absolutely hate it. And the thing is, is that in, in essence, when they say that they hate a certain job, they're saying, Lord, th- uh, I, I hate the fact that you're providing for me. You cannot like a job, but you could do your best possible work while you're there, while you're looking for another job, because I'm assuming that you're not going like uh, to keep doing a job that you absolutely hate. Unless you're some sort of like masochist and you, like, you, know, you just love to do stuff that you absolutely hate. You love to get beat up. I don't understand you know, why some people stay at a job that they absolutely hate. But the thing is, is that everything that we receive from the Lord, uh, everything that we receive is from Him, is from the Lord. The Lord gives and He takes away. The Lord gives us a job. He could take away that job. The Lord gives life. He could take away life. He could do all those things. John, John's response, John the Baptist's response is, whatever the Lord wants, I will do. I mean, think about it. He's out in the wilderness, and he's wearing animal skins, and he's eating locusts and honey. How many of you in here will say, if the Lord said, go do that, you're like, hmm, sign me up. I'm going to go do it. Some would say, oh, you know, that you'd be fine with the honey. The locust is a whole other part. And the fact that you're going to be wearing animal skins like you're, like you're Fred and Wilma Flintstone is a whole other story. But John the Baptist, his response is, whatever the Lord wants, I'm going to do that. That's what I need to do. And John responds right back with exactly what he said to, uh, about Jesus when Jesus came. And he says that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the, the sin of the world. He immediately directs the question away from himself and exalts or lifts up Jesus because he knows who Jesus is. Did you ever, did you ever think about that? John the Baptist, out of all these people that are around, John the Baptist already knows who he is. He does. He's the one who proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows at this point who Jesus is. And do you notice that people already don't like Jesus? We're three chapters into the Gospel of John, and and people already don't like him. I mean, you would figure at least around by like chapter 13 or 14 that they start hating him, but they they already don't like him. Do you know why? That they don't like him? Because he said that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The religious leaders don't like it because Jesus is taking away the business from the temple, the temple sacrifices. Remember when he flipped over tables and did all that kind of stuff? He was taking care of, he was getting rid of the, uh, their business. And let's, let's face it, 
When Jesus comes and says, behold, or sorry, when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, why don't they like that statement? People love their sin. We learned that last week. That's what, that's what he said last week. He says people love their sin. They love their evil deeds. They, they love the evil that they do. And they don't like it to be brought into the light. They don't want it to be brought into the light. He's calling disciples, so he's taking away other people. Uh, he's taking away other, uh, possibly other, uh, other disciples from other people. People who know who Jesus is as far as his earthly, uh, his earthly life and who his parents are. Remember the fact that they said, uh, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They know who his parents are. They know who he is. He grew up around them. And here's the other part of it that oftentimes we don't think about. They, were probably, uh, they even said, isn't that Joseph and Mary's son, the carpenter? And whatever possible thoughts that they had about his birth? Because to this day, the Jewish people believe that Mary was a whore. And that's, that's the word that they will use. They will believe that she went out, she slept around, and she got pregnant by whoever. And they still believe that to this day. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus is an illegitimate child. So they're going around and they're beginning to you know, sit there and go, okay, this guy is coming out and saying all these things. I know who he is. I grew up around him. I know his life. And how many of you know that just because it's a rumor does not mean it's true? Like I said, he, he cleansed the temple, uh, you know, the temple by overthrowing the tables and getting rid of all the merchandise to sell, all the offerings that meant nothing to the people. This is how Jesus is acting un-Jesus-like in, in modern culture. Because in modern culture, Jesus is this loving guy that walks around in his, in his beauty pageant, you know, sash and everything, gliding across the floor going, oh, I just love you. I love you. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. I just love you. But John's gospel is completely different. John's gospel is basically a flat out time. He's flipping over tables. He's doing all these things. And this is the true Jesus. This is the real Jesus. And he's probably dividing the, the religious ranks because the leaders are most likely asking all these questions. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus on behalf of other religious leaders. So it's not just Nicodemus trying to find out who he is and say who he is. He's coming on behalf of everybody else and saying, you know what? I want to find out who you are. People like to think that they are okay with God. And this is the thing is, this is where most people get angry with, with somebody that calls out somebody, all right? Is that they like to think that they're okay with God. They like to think that like, I'm okay with God. I, I know I still mess up a little bit. I, I know I still go, go out and, and whatever, but God understands. And that's, that's like the fact of, you know, me coming up to somebody and just punching them in the face and be like, he understands. It's the, the same thing. It's the same thing, you me going up to somebody else or going into their house and just ripping off, like saying, hey, thanks for the TV. I'm just walking out their house and they're going, what are you doing? But like, Oh, you'll understand. It's the same thing. It's the same principle, you know, uh, you know, that we're going through. That most people will sit there and think that they're okay, 
with God because why? Because they will always put themselves against somebody else that is worse than them. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. So God has to kind of give me a little bit on that one, right? But the thing is, is that what ends up happening, you know, the whole big thing is, is that they don't want to change. They don't want to do what God's word tells them to do. They don't want to live their life according to what God, you know, the standards that God has set. They want to do it according to the standards that they have set. We don't measure our faith by according to others, but according to what he, uh, his standard says. And the question is, is, how close do we want to be to him? How close do we want to be to Jesus? How close do we want to be? It's not the fact of going, well, you know what? My mom, my dad, my, my grandmother, they all love Jesus, so I'll somehow get in you know, because of them. How close do we want to be to him? Verses 29 and, uh, and 30. He that uh, has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the, the bridegroom which stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 29 alludes to the fact of what Jesus hasn't even talked about yet. He's talking about the bride bride and the bridegroom. He goes on, you know, it begins to say, uh, I mean, if you're married in this room, husbands, before you got married, if you did, a, like my, this is what my wife and I did. We did a, like a reveal before service, but it wasn't a, like a reveal. It was back-to-back kind of a deal. So I didn't actually see her, and technically until the you know, service began, but I got to hear her voice. And it was the most calming thing that ever happened, because I think probably I would have been on one of those America's Funniest Home Videos things. I would have locked my knees and I would have fell face first on my, uh, right then and there. But I got to hear her voice beforehand. That is what he was referring to, is the fact that when we hear his voice, does it bring us joy? Is it a joy to hear his voice? Or when God tells you to do something that you don't want to do, do you throw a temper tantrum? Is it a joy? And is your joy fulfilled in hearing his voice above all things? Did you ever notice that when we draw nearer to Jesus, that it will drive others away from us? People are fine when you speak of religion, but will call you all sorts of names when you take the Lord too seriously. I don't think the Lord's ever going to come up to somebody at the pearly gates and go, I'm sorry, but you took me a little bit too seriously. You're going to have to go wait a little bit. I think that's how the Lord wants us to take it. I mean, if we're, if we're married, I, I would think that both, hopefully both parties would take that marriage commitment, that covenant, very seriously. That they wouldn't sit there and go, eh, it's kind of flexible. I mean, they understand. I mean, they know I got needs outside of them. It's getting rather quiet in here. The only way he can draw you closer to God is to draw everybody else away from you. Did you ever think about that? Where does Jesus go when he needs to reconnect with the Lord, you know, with God? He goes away from everybody. 
You'll notice at the beginning of his ministry, all of a sudden he has droves upon droves upon droves of people. But as he goes on more and more and more, what ends up happening? The people end up leaving. They'll say, Lord, this is a hard saying. How can I, sit th- how can I even do this? He actually dro- And the Lord's not sitting there going, leave me, go away. No, he's just speaking truth. He's just speaking truth and telling them, this is the way that it is, and they don't like it. The closer you get with the Lord the more people are going to be driven away. It's a sad reality, but that's what ends up happening. But this is exactly what John the Baptist wants. He wants to focus off of him. He doesn't want everybody coming to him. He wants everybody going to Jesus. He wants Jesus to be exalted and glorified, lifted up. He doesn't want any part of himself showing, but he wants just Jesus, and that's it. He wants everybody to go to him. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I'm going to keep on preaching Jesus. If they come to me, they come to me. But the thing is, is that I'm going to tell them about him anyways. Verse 34. I'm sorry, uh, verse 31 to 36. He that comes from above is, for, uh, is above all. Who is he talking about? He that comes from above is above all. He's already talking about Jesus. He knows exactly who he is. He that is of the, uh, of the earth is earthly. He talked to Nicodemus about that, saying that basically your mind is on earthly things and not on things from above. Sorry, that was Jesus that actually said that to Nicodemus. And speaks of earth. And he that comes from heaven is above all. And, when he has, and what he has seen and heard that he testifies... And no man receives his testimony. He that, uh, he that has received his, testim- his, testim- his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has, set, uh, has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives not the Spirit by measure unto, unto him. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not, have, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's not a popular message right there, the last part. We want to say everybody goes to heaven. Everybody's all there. Everybody, everybody goes. The funny thing is, is that I keep, you know, in my mind, I'm trying to get this straight because to me, it's like I'm reading the words of Jesus. This is John the Baptist that's, you know, that's talking. He's the one that's talking to all, these, all of his disciples and the other Jews that are trying to purify themselves and trying to get themselves ready. But the thing is, is that it's John the Baptist that's speaking. And it's amazing because as far as I can tell, Jesus is someplace else and John the Baptist is someplace else. And yet they haven't had this conversation. And yet, you can see that they're preaching the same message. Albert Barnes said this, it says, not in a small degree, verse 34, as far as a spirit without measure. Not in a small degree, but fully, completely. The prophets were inspired on particular occasions to deliver special messages. The Messiah was continually filled with the Spirit of God. Why is that important? Because the Messiah, you know, know, Jesus, was continually filled with the Spirit. And now, because of the day of Pentecost, we are continually filled with the Spirit. It's not on special occasions. It's not, you know, hey, I, I did this, you know, five years ago and the Lord spoke. No, we are filled without measure. Why? Because he was. Verse 
Verse 35 says that the Father loves the Son and that He has given all things into His hand. What are all things? He gave all authority into the, into the Lord's hands. He gave, them all, he gave them all authority. Remember, this entire gospel, what is the purpose of it? It is that you would believe that He is who He said He is, that, that you may believe that He is the Son of God. This entire gospel is about proving that point, that Jesus is who he says he is. And the thing is, is that people will say, well, Jesus never called himself God. He didn't have to. Others were already saying it about him beforehand. And the funny thing is, is that John is preaching the gospel to his own disciples and to others who are listening before Jesus even comes to the end of his ministry, which says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. John is already preaching this even before, because when does Jesus say that? He says that at the end of the Gospel of Mark, meaning that he has, there was a, Jesus died upon the cross, he was raised from the dead, and then he's getting ready to go back to the Father right before the day of Pentecost. But yet, John is already preaching this even before Jesus tells people to do that. What does that mean? You don't need a golden ticket to go preach the Gospel. You just go out and do it. You go out and you tell people about him. Nothing else. Nothing more. Nothing less. That's what John's desire is, is that nothing else, there's nothing else that matters, there's nothing else that that needs to take place, is that you're preaching Jesus, and the thing is, is that you want Jesus glorified and not yourself. And that's a little bit hard, isn't it? Because if we're truly living for the Lord, sometimes things get uncomfortable, don't they? Sometimes you may have to you know, stay at home when everybody else is going out because the Lord has asked you to pray and read. Sometimes somebody offers you something and you say, no, I don't want that. You actually have to stand up for your faith. It's easier to go with the flow of the world than it is to go against it and follow Christ. But what I'm preaching is nothing else, nothing more, nothing less, is that Jesus and Jesus only. That's it. That's the whole, that's what John says. John says, I don't want, you know, the spotlight. I don't want anything else. But I want him. And the reality is, is that when you start getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus, more and more people are going to go away from you. You won't have to sit there and try to get them to leave. Remember, the gospel is already offensive. Do you, understand, you know why the gospel is offensive to people? It's because that's sin that they like. That's why it offends people. You can go to any, city, uh, any place, you begin to talk about what the scripture says is a sin, and people are offended by it. You don't have to sit there and call them names or you know, make fun of them or anything else. You just tell them what sin is. You can tell them what sin is and then come back and say, well, this is what Jesus did for you, and they don't care because you called out their sin because they love their evil deeds. They love the evil that they do. They want to hold on to it even though that it hurts them. There is no sin that actually draws you closer to God or makes you feel better. It may make you feel better. Remember the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for what? A season. People say, well, you don't know the, you know, the, the sin I'm involved in. You know, there's an awful lot of pleasure. I can guarantee 
it's going to run out. When we actually do what God's word says, and we actually follow what God's word says, and say, Jesus, because the reason why I'm following your word is because I want you, life is so much better. Things go, uh, things go your way. Why? Because you're going according to his design. You say, well, what happens if all of a sudden somebody comes up to me and starts punching me because of the fact that I'm telling them about Jesus? Did they not do the same thing to him? And if we had, well, I don't, want to get, I don't want to get punched. I don't want to get spit on. I don't think Jesus wanted to get spit on, but he knew that was part of the, that was part of the deal, wasn't it? If you were to get punched, spit upon, possibly even you know, killed for it, and you say, well, you know, I don't want to do that because I don't want to, I think I'm going to just preach this a loving gospel all the time. Translation is this, I think I'm better than Jesus because I want to preach a different gospel. That's the flat out, that's the truth. Because if Jesus got crucified for what he was preaching, and so did Paul, Peter, John, all of the disciples, they all got beaten up, flogged, some of them got filleted alive, some of them got pulled apart by horses, some of them got all these things going on with them, and we sit there and we think, that nothing is, you know, that we're, we're special and that that's not going to happen to us? It's getting even quieter. It's a harsh reality. I don't think any of them woke up. I don't think James, the less, said, you know what? I think today, because I love Jesus so much, I want to go over to the top of the temple and have somebody push me off the temple and so I could fall down and die. That's how James, you know, one of the, he wrote a letter in the Bible. That's what happened to him. They took him up, the authorities took him up to the top of the temple, shoved him. And the amazing thing was, actually, he didn't actually die. He actually fell. And he, he lived, and then they said, you know what, we'll take care of him this time. And then they drug him behind horses. Christianity is not about, you know, having pleasure in, in, in pain. Christianity is the fact that you say, you know what, I love him so much that, you know what, whatever, you know, whatever he asks me to do, I'm going to do. Nothing else. And we look at the fact of somebody dying a martyr's death as, oh, I'm sorry. Mm. Is death such a bad thing when you're in the arms of your Savior? Because that's the whole reason why we're that's the whole reason why we love Jesus, right? Is because when we die, we get to be with him. Everybody focuses on, oh, I want to you know, be on the streets of gold. I want my own mansion. I want to get into heaven and all sorts of stuff. But do you want him? And if you want him, I'm sorry. There's a track record that goes along with it. All the prophets in the Old Testament died a horrible death. But I can guarantee that they, wouldn't, that they wouldn't take that back for anything and say, you know what, I think I'd rather live a cushy life. They're with Jesus. They're with, you know, with their Savior. Where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering, where there is no more tears, where there isn't. Why? Because that's what he's promised to those that will believe him. John the Baptist wants nothing else but him. He wants nothing else but Jesus. I say all that because do you know how John the Baptist dies? John the Baptist 
Later on, Herod's daughter doesn't like him and says, you know what, you know, Dad, you know what, you, this, this woman's a little bit weird, okay? Because what she says is, Dad, this is what you can get me. Can you go get that John the Baptist, chop off his head and bring it back to me on the platter? I'm sorry, if I ask for a birthday present, it's never that. But John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. He knew the sacrifice. He knew what it meant. He knew everything about it. And I can guarantee that there's nothing a part of him that actually says, you know what, I wish I would have done things differently. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed. The amazing thing in this entire portion of Scripture is the fact that John the Baptist is preaching what Jesus is preaching, and they're not around each other. You know how that happens? Luke chapter 12, verse, verse 12 says this, For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. When we are living for the Lord, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're doing what God has called us to do, the Holy Spirit will speak through us. Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak to that person. My question to you this morning is do we love our comfort, our reputation, or our wealth so much that we deny Him at any turn that we get, any chance that we get? Do we only love Him? Will we forsake all, everything to know Him? Will we allow the spotlight to remain on us or say no to the spotlight and place it properly upon Jesus? Will we live our lives in the same manner, with the same attitude that John the Baptist says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease?